0: To episode 88 of the Real Food Mamas podcast. Today we have a really special guest. I know we call them all really special, but this one, this one I almost had to pinch myself when he said yes to joining our show. We have Dr. Ben Lynch today on, on the show. Uh, Dr. Lynch, he's been a mentor of mine and many other physicians in the area of epigenetics. He just launched his book, Dirty Genes, which reviews the top seven genes that can impact our health and what it means to have dirty genes and how to clean them up. I first started following his work when I learned about MTHFR, which I test in so many of my patients. We're going to get into that in the convo, learn about MTHFR, but today, really, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, including MTHFR. Now, I wanted to give a little bit of a background on what epigenetics is for some people who don't know what that is, um, because we really just dive right into it in our interview. So essentially, epigenetics is how our genes respond to our environment. So we all have different genetic expressions and how lifestyle plays just such a huge role in keeping our genes healthy. Um, Lifestyle modifications can either turn genes on or turn genes off. So I like to think of genes and epigenetics as a way to help us just understand people's susceptibility to disease and really help us understand just why you're wired the way we are. So in uh, Dr. Lynch's book, he talks about seven key that we call SNPs or polymorphisms or type of mutations. They're all kind of interchangeable. Seven different genes that he finds impacts people's health, and that can oftentimes have these type of mutations. And so I want to list the seven. In today's episode, we really highlight two of them. But in the episode, we kind of talk a little bit about some of them, so I want to give you a background. The first one is MTHFR. This helps us understand someone's methylation process and detoxification capabilities. Uh, Number two is COMT. This helps explain how someone can focus or how motivated someone is versus how laid back they are. DAO can help us understand why you are sensitive to foods and chemicals. MAOA, MAO, affects mood swings and carb cravings. It can help balance our neurotransmitters. GST or GPX, it creates detox dilemmas. It just helps us understand how efficiently our body can rid chemicals. NOS-3, that can create heart issues, affects our production of NO, and PEMT, supports our cell membranes and liver. It affects our production of phosphatidylcholine. So these seven that I just rambled on, don't worry, you don't need to really understand them much, but we're really going to focus on MTHFR and PEMT. But just so you know, his book really goes into great depth on all seven of these, and there's so much great information on all of these, but we had to kind of limit to two. So now it's possible that you have mutations in any one of these seven. When you're born, or it's also possible that lifestyle effects can, what he calls, gunk them up and make them dirty. And we're going to go into that in the episode. It's really an interesting biochemical process. So we're um, excited to, to really dive into that. Now, because of the length of this interview, I'm going to kind of skip our introductions today for Stephanie and I, but I'm going to make them really quick, and then I want to introduce Dr. Lynch to you. So you know our my co-host, her name's Stephanie. She's a registered dietitian. She's a creator of Healthy Mama Happy Baby program, and she is amazing. (laughs) I am a naturopathic doctor. I'm passionate about pediatrics. I created a medicine kit, and you can learn more about that at nourishmykids.com. So that's all I'm going to say about us, just because I really want to dive right into um, introducing Dr. Lynch. All right, so uh, Benjamin Lynch, he's a naturopathic doctor. He received his Cell and Molecular Biology a bachelor of Science from the University of Washington and his doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University. His passion for identifying the cause of disease directed him towards neutrogenomics and methylation dysfunction. He currently researches, he writes, he presents worldwide on the topic of MTHFR, methylation defects, and genetic control. You may learn more about Dr. Lynch and his work at drbenlynch.com. Dr. Lynch is the president of www.seekinghealth.com, which is a supplement company oriented towards disease prevention and health promotion. He lives in Seattle, Washington, with his wife, Nadia, and three boys, Tasman, Matthew, and Theodore. Now let's jump into the show. All right. Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for coming on today's show. I, I value your time so much, and I know our listeners are really excited to have you today, so thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Great. So as we start most of our uh, episodes, we always like to ask our guests, how did you nourish yourself today?
1: Well, well besides food, I went out for probably a three-and-a-half-mile walk while listening to an audiobook called Life Unlocked, which was very, very cool. And I got a blood sugar uh, glucose meter so I can check my blood glucose just to keep an eye on it and monitor it and see how I can tweak it and ever keep it improved.
0: Great. All right. Very good. I, I also love books. In fact, I, I read your dirty jeans uh, through audio uh, uh, from Audible. So I think it's just a great, great thing to do every morning
1: yeah excellent
0: perfect so something that I did to nourish myself was actually through food um, I had a really big salad this um, this afternoon for lunch and You know, salads make me feel super good. (laughs) And likely because I know I'm compound heterozygous for MTHFR, which Mm -hmm. for some listeners may or may not know about this, but we're going to go into this uh, later in the episode. But um, in your book, one of your recommendations to help clean up uh, MTHFR, SNP, if you have one, or to keep it clean is to eat salads. And I just I couldn't agree with you more because I probably crave them. If I don't have them or if I go on vacation, I, I like need a big salad. So So I just wanted to mention that through your book. I thought that was definitely right on. And you know, part of that is that I kind of see my MTHFR mutation as something as more of a blessing than a curse in that way, and that it keeps me eating greens. (laughs) You know, it keeps me in check to making sure that every lunch that I have is a really big salad. So I wanted to share that with the listeners today.
1: Great. Great. Well, I'm glad it's benefited you.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Great. So let's go ahead and we're going to jump in. I've got a number of questions for you. And I'm hoping we get through them all. And I've got some questions from some of my personal patients and listeners. So hopefully we get to um, a good amount of this. So um, my first question to you is that you're a naturopathic physician, so similar to me. And I know that as a as an ND, we have so many different areas that we can have an expertise in. For me personally, I love treating kids, so pediatrics is a passion for me, and treating moms and moms to be. For you, it sounds like epigenetics was just something that just lit you up and fired you up. Can you give us like um like your background on how you got interested in epigenetics and why that was something that you got so interested in
1: well as i've said a a number of times before i like understanding why i really like diving in and i think that's also why we many of us become naturopathic physicians right because the why of how the body truly works and why it's doing what it's doing because it inherently knows what to do then you know let's let's dive deeper and when i found that it's not really our genes that do all the work it's the work that we give our genes (laughs) that tells our genes what to do if they can do it, if we give them the right resources. So when I've learned that epigenetics is really controlling how our genes function, I was thinking that's pretty important because our genes are providing the, the actions, but the epigenetics are giving them the directions. So it's like, man, I want them to give them the right directions. So I, when I saw that tale of two nice mice Nova video, of how these genetically related, genetically identical mice with cardiovascular disease, diabetes risk, and cancer risk went on to have none of those as long as they had a great diet, I was thinking that's 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 really cool. So that's what got me hooked.
0: Great. I love that. And it's, it's true. And I think it's an interesting idea that as doctors, we're all looking for the cause and the why. And that can actually be very different for different doctors and how – and what they're looking for and what the actual Mm. cause really may look like. And I think with genes, the way I look at epigenetics is it really helps us understand why people are susceptible to diseases. And also it just really under, it helps us understand just why we are the way we are and why we're wired. And I love yeah. how your book really goes into that. It, it really does go over the top seven um, you know, main type of genetic polymorphisms that we see that may impact our health. I know there's so many more, but you really did focus on those seven specific. And it, it kind of helps me under, or help me understand, and obviously people who read it, to just understand why they are the way that they are and what diseases they may be just more susceptible to be to so that Mm -hmm. they can then act on lifestyle changes to help um, reduce their risk. And that's so empowering. They can be so proactive with it. So I really get why you are so fascinated with it.
1: Yeah, when you you understand why you might feel a certain way, then only then you can make steps to restore it. Mm -hmm. If you have a certain symptom, but you don't know why you have that symptom, how are you going to fix it? Right. right. So it's, to me, it's all about understanding how the body is working down to the genetic level and then how through your own actions, you know, being modifying your epigenetics or supporting your epigenetics, you know, through lifestyle, diet, mindset, and the environment, you can really modify how those genes, Either even if they were born dirty, you can clean them up. And just person after person is just getting so much better so much faster and uh, it's pretty cool it's really cool actually
0: great so i love what you just said because i really would love for you to expand this for our listeners is in your book you say this over and over that you say your genes are either born dirty or they could be acting dirty and I loved this. This is like a great aha moment. I think for a lot of people to get that, you may be born with dirty jeans, or you may not even have the dirty jeans, but man, you can gunk them up and get them really dirty. So, can you expand on that? I just love this concept. I want the listeners to really understand that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if for example, let's let's talk about um, you know one of the genes in the book, Empty Chafar. And MTHFR is one gene out of about 19, 20,000 or so. So there's a lot of genes in the human body, and MTHFR is just one. But if it's dirty, i.e. not working optimally, that's what a dirty gene is. Simply, a dirty gene is a gene that cannot perform its job well. And if it can't perform its job well, then the job doesn't get done. And if the job doesn't get done, symptoms can happen. So MTHFR's job is to make the body's number one form of folate, which is called methylfolate. And if you're born with a dirty MTGFR gene, your mtgfr gene might only be working at a 30% capacity compared to someone who wasn't born with that MTGFR you know variation. So my MTGFR gene has a 30% capacity. So that means it's already 70% reduced compared to someone who does not have an MTGFR variant like mine. So My gene is very susceptible to being dirty. However, like you started off this interview with, if I eat my leafy green vegetables, if I avoid alcohol, if I take sufficient vitamin B2, if my thyroid is working okay, uh, if I'm not taking nitrous oxide or high amounts of folic acid, it doesn't matter that my MTHFR gene Mm -hmm. is only at 30% because 30% is enough. Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. And on the flip side, let's say you were born... And you took a genetic test and you're like, wow, my MTHR is not born dirty at all. There's no variation in there. It's working at 100% capacity. Yet you feel terrible and your homocysteine is sky high. Well, if you're not eating leafy green salads, if you're not taking your vitamin E2, if your thyroid's a mess and you're drinking alcohol or you're taking various meds like, you know, methotrexate or nitrous oxide laughing gas at the dentist, then yeah, your MTHR is going to get dirty. And so... We have to really understand this both as practitioners and as, you know, the general public layperson because and as patients, because many people get their genetic test back and like, "Oh, I don't have MPHR, I swore I had it, and now what am I going to do? Well, just because it looks clean on a piece of paper that there's no variant, does not mean it is clean
0: great see i love this i want to actually share a personal story when i was in college i would always get like so upset that i couldn't handle drinking alcohol like my other friends like i was i was always the one who was like all right i'll just take a glass of wine and then i'm done and i would still like be tired the next day and feel Mm -hmm. a hungover and it like it would bother me you know i was like what is wrong with me you know yeah i'm such a wuss or like gosh my vitality must not be that high or you know i would just start questioning or doubting myself and my health and, and make my other friends just like almost wrong for it. I'm like, this is not fair at all. And I also I realized, though, during that time is, you know what, so I just have to stay healthier than other people. Or that means that I just can't drink a lot of alcohol or I, I I eat my salads more. But I always thought in the back of my head, I was like, you know, but I bet it's going to catch up on them someday. Or Mm -hmm. I bet as they get older or something, they're not going to be able to tolerate it. And when I read your book and I really got the distinguished I got to distinguish between are you born dirty or if you're not born with dirty jeans they can still get dirty I really thought back to those college days and thought to myself those people will still have some symptoms over time if they continue that type of lifestyle. And it almost made me feel like more normal. Like, hey, it's okay. Just because I was born with it, it just means that I just need to work a little harder. And you know what? I'm glad I have to work harder because it keeps me so healthy. <laughs> you know That's right. it's amazing. And right. I am symptom free because I do eat a lot of salads and I don't drink a lot of alcohol. And even though um, you know, I mean I, I, I work so hard on my health because I love it that if I do want a glass of wine here and there, I don't feel so crappy like I used to. Because I'm supporting my thyroid, I'm getting my B vitamins, I'm not taking any nitrous oxide, you know, like all the things that I know could also harm my or make it more dirty, my MTHFR. So I just love knowing this information. I think it's so empowering. And I know our listeners and definitely my patients love to understand this stuff as well. Yeah, you know, that's a
1: huge point. When I when I talk with individuals and they find out that they're more of a slower COMT and maybe their, their significant other or their spouse is a fast COMT,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, so one is type A and driven and the other one's kind of laid back and mm-hmm. casual. When they start understanding their neurotransmitter differences, I, I I told one couple this and they looked at each other and were like, oh, that is saying so much. Yeah. And I could just see that they no longer uh, were fighting each other with it. They just understood that's how they were. Mm-hmm. It was an excuse that they could maintain that, but they knew how the type A person could tone it down a little bit and how the couch potato person who could lift it up a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Right.
0: Right. And it so, gives it it helps people not make each other wrong for yes. who they are. It helps exactly. give permission for people just to be who they are. But if you take it another step further, which I love, is if your partner is, let's say, a fast C O M T versus the other is a slow C O M T, you can actually help Observe when their genes may be getting gunked up. If, let's say, they're having insomnia, or or you know they're having more PMS symptoms, and help guide your partner to say, "Hey, by the way, I've noticed you aren't sleeping well, or you're having more PMS. Maybe you should lighten up on the protein at night, or something mm-hmm. like that." You know, some of your recommendations that you give specifically for those. And I think that's such a great way that we can add to our partnership and our relationships without making someone wrong, versus just supporting them and in their health. And the impact on that So I thought that was so neat to read That it can really determine behavior Not just disease processes
1: Right So cool Yeah well, well, so thanks.
0: we're kind of throwing out MTHFR and COMT. Um, in the intro of this, I, I'm going to go through all the seven different genetic polymorphisms. But for right now, and for time's sake, I wish we can go over all seven. But I really want to focus this episode on on two that I think are most relevant to our listeners who are moms and moms to be. Um, I chose MTHFR and PEMT, which we don't talk a lot about. And I was so fascinated to learn more about it in your book. So if we can start with MTHFR, I just want to continue talking about it. And in particular, what can you share about MTHFR that I just feel like all moms should really know about this one particular one?
1: Wow. Well, I'll start off with, uh, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. But one that flashed through my head was, uh, I just recently presented at the Paleo Effects conference. And, oh, great. and one of my slides there, which really got a lot of people's attention, is if a baby in utero not born yet, if the baby has MDGFR, two variants, i.e. homozygous MDGFR, right? Mm -hmm. They have a 90% risk of having a neural tube defect.
0: No kidding. So homozygous on one of the genes?
1: Yes, on homozygous MDGFR. Wow,
0: they have 90% risk. That's an enormous amount.
1: Wow. Yes. And so we often think of the mother... And we kind of think about the male, right? Not so much, but it takes both of their genes. So if you look at a woman's genetics and you look at her MTGFR and you say, oh, you have one variant of MTGFR, you have your heterozygous 677, it's, it's, you know, 40% slowed down. It's nothing, you know, too much to worry about. And you're just looking at genetic report. You're not looking at their homocysteine. You're not looking at their thyroid status. You're not looking at their riboflavin status. You're not looking at you know, the basics. And then the significant other over there, the partner, the male, is just sitting there. And he's homozygous for MTHFR C677T. So he's definitely going to give one of his dirty MDGFRs to the, the, the future child. Mm-hmm. And the woman has a 50% chance right? Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty high risk there for that baby to get a neural tube defect. So we always have to keep in mind the partner, and we also have to keep in mind to not just look at the genetic test, but also see if the mother's MD2 r gene is acting dirty. And you can do that by checking homocysteine levels. And I will tell you that there are paper after paper after paper after paper that looks at, Uh, pregnancy complications, infertility issues, and congenital uh, birth defects or significant health issues like Down syndrome or autism, Um, really those things increasing due to high levels of homocysteine.
0: Interesting. Right. And so homocysteine is a really easy test that you can ask any medical doctor or naturopathic doctor to order. So for listeners out there, that is a very, very easy way to figure out- Yeah. And I know your levels that you love homocysteine is within six to eight. Is that correct? Yes. Right. And really, I mean, on lab ranges, it can go all the way up to, I think, 15 or, I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it as high, but I think you want it less than 10 on lab uh, ranges. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So a lot of labs say that less than 13 is good. Okay. And that's it. And, uh, but I mean, there's people that have been in the hundreds, um, so it, it can get sky high, um, and it could also be really low. It could be one or two or three, and low isn't good either. Right. So you know, it, look, is this whole thing about folic acid and neural tube defects? I totally get it. I I I, I enjoy that they're trying to reduce neural tube defects. I, I love the fact that they're trying to to take the care and increase the outcomes, the beneficial outcomes of a of a child. You know, reducing congenital heart defects, but they got it all wrong. Uh, they got it completely wrong. anti job, again, is to bake the body's number one form of folate. And nobody knows what that is, really. Very, very few people, like 99.9% of people, do not know what the body's main form of folate is. And it's called methyl folate, mm-hmm. it's not folic acid. And to convert folic acid into the body's main form of folate, methyl folate, It takes a lot of different genes and a lot of nutrients to do that, and those genes can be dirty, and they actually are dirty, born dirty or got dirty, in many, many, many women. And so folic acid must be stopped by pregnant women, all women, period. They need to be consuming their leafy green veggies, or if they're not going to do that, they need to be taking at least active forms of folate, which are readily available now and inexpensive, uh, called folinic acid or methylfolate or a combination of both. So it, great, that's a must.
0: So I'm just so curious about these studies, and I wanted to ask a question because I don't want I don't want our listeners to get too concerned with this. Is if you're born with a SNP with a mutation, and you're you're actively living a healthy lifestyle and keeping your genes as as clean as possible, can you prevent this homozygous? Um, a mutation in your child, even if your husband, the partner, and you have a born dirty gene, is that possible? As long as you keep it as clean.
1: Well, there's there's an there's a very this is a very important question to answer, and I don't want to muck it up. Um, it's a great question. So there's there's two. And this is yeah. Let me let me back up a little bit. Our gene, the genes that are discussed in dirty genes have benefits, all of them, whether there's mm-hmm. a, a, if it was born dirty or not born dirty, there are benefits. We've inherited these genes for many, many thousands of years, right? So really only now in the last hundred years, last 50 years, it's super easy for our genes to get dirty from all the chemicals, all the stressors, all the go, 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 all the rushing, right? Right. Um, so it's the rat race of human life these days. So the, you cannot prevent your unborn child from inheriting your born dirty MTCFR gene. If you're homozygous, uh, for MTCFR, meaning you have two copies and your, your partner is homozygous for MTCFR, they've got two copies. It's a hundred percent chance your baby's Mm going to have MTCFR hundred percent. Now, does that mean you need to freak out? Well, let me talk to you talk with you about a study that was done. I do not remember the year, but they looked at the the risk of having a newborn baby with a neural tube defects, a neural tube defect who also has MTFR C six seven seven right. So the, the significant MTFR, meaning the MTFR gene is slowed down by quite a bit. So if they looked at babies born in America. And China and Mexico, these babies had a pretty high risk of having a neural tube defect from mothers uh, who have MTGFR, you know, homozygous. They went to Italy. Italian women had homozygous MTGFR. They did not have their babies had very, very low risk of having kids with MTGFR. So you cannot be looking at just the gene. Right. You have to be looking at the lifestyle, the diet, the environment. I mean, what do the Italians eat? A lot of salads, Mediterranean, healthy diet, a lot of family, a lot of sun. Right. So this environment is is very, very important. And that study really resonated with me because it wasn't the gene that was so important. It was the environment.
0: Great. Well, then again, this is why epigenetics is so powerful is when we really live a healthy lifestyle, we really can help clean up our genes for our future generations. And that's what I mean, I'm so passionate about. I know you're so passionate about that. Um, And it's very important for the listeners to understand that we do have control over that. And that's a beautiful thing. I know one of the quotes in your book, or maybe a podcast I listened to, you said something about, um, you know, when your parent, when the parents' genes are dirty, your kids are born with dirty genes. It's just the way we pass on genes. And so I would assume if, our, if the parents' genes are clean, then we pass on clean genes to our kids. And that's our goal, to, is to help create as healthy kids as possible. Would you agree with that? Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. And, you know, there's... I cannot tell you how many people come up to me at book signings or conferences or what have you, and they're like, I want to get pregnant.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: in my upper 30s, time's ticking, and I want to get pregnant right away. And I say, Well, are you fighting any health challenges right now? Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, mast cell activation disorder, autoimmune, my gut's the wreck. I'm like, don't get pregnant right now.
0: Right. Don't get pregnant. Right. Don't, Wait.
1: Don't. Yeah. Don't. It, you know, you got to take six months to. To really work on yourself, and don't forget to work on your partner. A mm-hmm. man's sperm is a big player here too, and uh, so he, he has to be healthy as well. So you both need to clean this up, and then you're you're taking six months, and that might seem like an eternity to you, and I get that. But you're as a woman, and if you have a a girl as your as your child, if you have a daughter, you're not only affecting your daughter's health. Over that six months, mm-hmm. you're affecting your grandkids mm-hmm. because her your your daughter's eggs in her ovaries are developed during your pregnancy.
0: Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So you're
1: affecting two generations over six months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. It's well worth do. it.
0: And, you know, for those surprise pregnancies, the healthier you could be during pregnancy as well. Also, yes. I mean, uh, uh, very important. Maybe, yes. you know, even being like as healthy as physically possible just to make up for those lost times is, I mean, anything yep. is helpful than nothing. So I That's definitely right. agree. Now, I want to it's back never up. never
1: too late. Never too late to start.
0: I want to back up a little bit for the listeners who may be a little bit confused. We so easily can talk about homozygous and heterozygous and compound heterozygous that I just want to help at least define and just make it a little bit simple for people who really have no idea what we're talking about. Um, So for the listeners, if I I may, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Lynch, uh, you're the expert in here, but um, I do a lot of MTHFR testing in office. So the way I try to explain it to my patients is there are two different genes for MTHFR. There's the C677 that you mentioned, and there's also the A1298. With those two genes, there are two different opportunities for a mutation, just to make it very simple. And so that means that there's a total of four different opportunities for a mutation. If you have two mutations on one of the genes, let's say six the C677, then you're considered homozygous on that gene. If you only have one mutation on C677, then you're considered heterozygous for that mutation. So you can also have one mutation on the gene C677 and one mutation on A129A, and that would be considered compound heterozygous. So I try to explain to patients that there's different variations and different degrees of uh, possible mutations, and that also impacts your capability of function. So you mentioned earlier in the show that we, both of us, I I believe we're both compound heterozygous, have a 30% capacity of activating folic acid to the methyl, the activated form, whereas depending on your variation, if you're homozygous, if you're compound heterozygous, if you only have one mutation on one of the genes, your your capacities grow um, greater. Did I say that right? And if I didn't, please let the listeners know, but I wanted to try to make it as simple for them as possible.
1: Yeah, no, you did great. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, I was I was writing this in, in my book. And, you know, I, a lot of people say, well, Ben, why don't you you mentioned the 677 and 1298 for the MTGFR and the V158M for the COMT, and you talk about the variants. Because at the end of the day, the science is, is cool to know, and it is isn't is useful, especially when you're reading the scientific papers and you're trying to make sense of it, or your lab test. It's super important to understand. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, but you're right. Yeah, how you explained it is, is right on.
0: Okay, great. So one of the biggest um, reasons why I order MTHFR is oftentimes to, one, understand obviously someone's capability of activating folate, but mostly it's for their detoxification capacity. Um, I want to, if you can, speak a little bit more about that, because in my understanding, um, a mutation in MTHFR is, is one of the assessments we have for methylation status, along with homocysteine, and in addition, we can test glutathione levels. And I do this very often in my kids who I want to understand what their susceptibility is in possibly having an adverse reaction to vaccines and know if they're if they're a candidate for a delayed vaccination schedule or possibly even having a medical exemption um to try to avoid some of these toxic burdens. I'm curious your thoughts on that and um if you can share with the listeners any information.
1: Oh boy. I know it's a
0: heavy topic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a topic I love to go to. It's just a, it's a huge one. Um, so, you know, I I gave a a really solid talk for, uh, vaccine, um, some vaccine awareness, uh, organization. I forget their name. Unfortunately their shirts hanging in my closet. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: but it was, it was, I came at it from a totally different approach and it's on the Facebook page. So remind me, shoot me an email afterwards okay, and I'll, I'll get it so you can put it in the show notes for people to watch. Um, Cause it's another, it's like basically another hour and a half, two hours of information. Um, so this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, so yeah, vaccines are, are all about, you know, vaccine harm or vaccine injury to me is all about dirty genes. So and I made a video it's on YouTube and I've got a very many thumbs down on this where I, I discussed that if you have the MTHFR variant that is not or the mutation or polymorphism whatever you want to call it there's there's different words interchanged often so oftentimes you'll hear variant polymorphism or SNP, or mutation they all kind of mean the same thing I mean technically they are different but many people use them interchangeably. Um, so that aside, if you have MTG Far, does that, or your child has into Far, is that sufficient for a medical exemption? In my opinion, it's not. Um, and I say that, um, not because I'm pro vaccine. I'm far from, but I'm, I want to go about the whole vaccine exemption exemption with, integrity uh, for making sure that we actually can win real medical exemptions and if we just make flippant comments like oh you have integer far you should not be vaccinated we will just be the laughing stock and what we need to do is we need to say okay if your child is sick they don't get vaccinated if your child is a sibling of another you know is a younger, Uh, sibling of a child who's already born in the family and they have autism, they do not get vaccinated. If that child uh, has low vitamin D or a current infection or is failing to thrive, they don't get vaccinated. Um, If they have high aluminum levels, low vitamin D, high homocysteine, low homocysteine, uh, low glutathione, they don't get vaccinated. You know, it's, it's not about looking at what genes these kids have, it's about what their phenotype is. That means how they are acting real time in front of you as a parent or as a patient rather than their genes.
0: Great. I love this. And I appreciate this so very much because parents do ask me this question quite often. And I do test MTHFR with the idea and the understanding that this is just one bit of information. And really, I think testing the homocysteine and the glutathione levels gives us even more information about where your child is at Um, and his or her susceptibility. Um, You also mentioned low vitamin D, which I definitely agree. Can you talk a little bit about um, viruses or bacteria if a a child has uh, an infection? In one of your other podcasts or something I I listened to yours, you also said if mom ever had uh, the flu or an infection during pregnancy, that that also increases the child's risk for an adverse reaction. Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah. So, boy, uh, let me start out by saying, uh, in my opinion, uh, a woman should never get a flu vaccine during pregnancy. And uh, I also believe that they probably should not be vaccinated during pregnancy, period, uh, unless it's life-threatening. Because pregnancy itself is a time of depressed immune function on purpose. The, The woman is... The woman's immune system is designed to be less strong during pregnancy because the baby is a foreign object. The baby would be killed if the woman's immune system is on high alert. And that is what happens sometimes when a woman gets a flu vaccine or any vaccine during pregnancy. Sometimes she will miscarry an abort because these vaccines... Uh, Will have adjuvants in them and these adjuvants are chemicals which make the immune system go bonkers And if the immune system goes bonkers during pregnancy, the baby is a side effect uh, Losing your baby is a side effect that's a hell of a side effect to get Um, So I would be very very careful with that and during infections during pregnancy. They are unfortunately common um, so you know we got to make sure the mom is getting her sleep and it's tough she already has a another yeah. baby around um, but uh, you know we got to make sure her vitamin D levels are good her vitamin A levels are good um, her zinc and all that are, are on board um, to keep her immune system up her beneficial bi- uh, microbiome is good you know probiotics are on board um, and uh, she's getting her sleep um, but if she gets inf- an infection what happens is uh, this process called methylation, <clears throat> which is discussed, you know, in, in somewhat l- at length in the book, uh, in easy-to-understand terms, the methylation cycle is is compromised, and that is what is so very, very important uh, during pregnancy. So infections kind of mess this up, and, uh, and when that happens, the pregnancy is also altered.
0: I see. Okay, that makes sense now, because it has the correlation with the methylation process. Yeah, it's just so fascinating what our environment can do to um, our natural processes that, again, just like epigenetics, the littlest thing that you can do can really alter our genes, whether they turn on or off. And so whether it's a virus or a bacteria or dysbiosis, or even a lack of a vitamin or a mineral can really affect our genes in sub- such substantial ways that it then imparts uh, dirty genes onto our kids and, like you said, even future generations because of those girls that are developing their eggs in utero. I mean, it's there's just so many players here, and I think it's a, a humbling experience to try to even figure this out. I think we're only still just touching the surface of all huh. of this information.
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, the more I know, the more the the more stupid I feel.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Because
1: it's just it's just at the end of the day it's like, God, what I'm what I'm saying, does it really matter? And and you know what? It does because it it does remind you how important the basics are.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what's yes. so cool
1: because yes. the basics are so vitally important. Um that,
0: yes. that's I have to actually add to that. I think that was actually one of my – well, I had a lot of favorite parts of your book, but I just loved how you – We're able to have such validation and explain with so many impactful reasons why these healthy lifestyle choices are important. Because every book talks about why it's important, like, oh, eat healthy, meditate, sleep, drink more water. I mean, all of these, we kind of call them like foundations of health. But you gave such good concrete reasons for why it is so important, because it has such a huge impact in our genes. You know, it's not just because, oh, yeah, it's good for you everyone should just meditate it's like no this is really why and there goes go back to uh the fir- the answer to your first question you're just always so curious about the why to things and the, yeah those lifestyle um improvements make a huge difference in in the why i i really appreciated that so much and, yeah
1: well thanks oh yeah uh, it, it it works
2: it oh yeah it works
0: the other thing that I really love about your approach is you're not one to push a lot of supplements. And you even have your own supplement um, company, Seeking Health, which is a fantastic company we use a lot at, at our medical center. And it's still, you weren't even like promoting them. You kept on saying, I actually... You don't recommend people get tested because you know that our natural uh, tendency is going to see a mutation and then want to just take a pill for that mutation. It's like you're trying to talk people out of it, (laughs) and and I appreciate that because there's so many doctors who just give pills and give pills, and a lot of even naturopathic doctors. You know, we have um, a little bit of a reputation with just giving so much, and I think where we're not doing a service for anybody. In fact, I think it can make people more um, unhealthy in many ways. Can you speak a little bit about that?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah, big time. I mean, I, you know, I I was in the, the, you have an MTFR uh, mutation, take supplements, you know, I, I rode that train for a while. And, and I thought that's what you had to do. And, And some people got better, some got worse, and some had no change. And I found a new gene, you know, that the research was talking about. And then I started working with individuals who had that one. And I tried supplementing that that one, too. And it it just didn't work. And I I tried different supplements. It didn't work. And and I was like, well, all right. So I'll just go back to the basic naturopathic principles. And Mm -hmm. that worked. (laughs) I was like, I'm such an idiot right now. Um, That's how we learn. but let me let me give you an example, uh, a personal example, and this is this is very important. So, high histamine is a big issue for a lot of people. Histamine intolerance is is becoming more known. You know, I talk about it in the anti chapter. I talk about it in the DAO chapter. Uh, histamine is you know people know they're seasonal allergies. They know they get itchy skin. Um, they don't really know it's also tied to the alcohol, the red face, Mm -hmm. the extra-induced asthma, the eczema, the psoriasis, the insomnia, the irritabilities, migraines, um, the irregular heart rhythms, um, the runny noses, the bloody noses, the itchy eyes. I mean, histamine is related to all sorts of things, the diarrhea, um, and so on. So I've been struggling with histamine intolerance for a long time, and I got it under control. I mean, I'm good now. And I used to take one bite of wheat and I'd react. I get red dots all over my body. I would have a burnt tongue and I get hot, itchy and I get a headache and I'd be, um, uh, yeah, that's, and I would get eczema as well. So I fixed my gut and I cut out the gluten and all that was fine. Even though I fixed my gut, you know, doing various things, I would take a bite of wheat and I would still get this red burning tongue. I was still sensitive to dust mites. I was like, God, what the heck? So then I started researching more about various uh, bacteria and their ability to break down histamine. So I took uh, a lot of time and I researched these to uh, certain bacteria, which break down histamine and I put them together and I made a formula called probiohistaminics and it works it worked amazing. I can't believe it. I mean, it, it, my dust mite sensitivity went way down. I said, okay, I'm going to try eating wheat. I ate wheat. I didn't get any red burned tongue. I didn't get itchy red dots. I didn't get out sweating. I was like, wow, huh. So then I started eating wheat more, and I noticed, according to my aura Ring, I love the aura Ring because it could track my health, my heart rate was high, and my sleep was affected, and I had... Uh, I gained some additional weight around my waist. So Even though I didn't have the histamine symptoms because I was taking this probiotic, I was still negatively affecting my health because I went back to a lifestyle habit that I shouldn't have done in the first place, Mm -hmm. which was avoid wheat.
0: That's interesting, right? see. And I think a lot of patients, though, they want this kind of pill so that they could just go ahead and do it. So we right. can't just keep on giving these pills just so you could do this poor lifestyle for you. Wheat doesn't work well for your body. So mm. perhaps avoid it, continue avoiding it. And you could still, if you want to, take this probiotic just to optimize your health. I mean, you could use it for that, but not the excuse to just go back to eating any kind of food that your body doesn't tolerate well.
1: Yeah, but, it, you know, that's Absolutely true. But what really caught my attention was like, okay, I'm not having those histamine related symptoms anymore. However, my aura ring still showed me that my heart rate was higher than it should have been and I still had inflammation because I got I gained like five pounds over a period of a few days from the inflammation of the water retention, but I didn't react like I used to mm-hmm. to it. So I thought I was okay. I was like, where'd this weight gain come from? And why is my heart rate so high? And I was like, the wheat.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Such a scientist. This is great good. Thanks for sharing with that. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back to MTHFR. I just have a couple more questions on that before we go into the um, PEMT, if, if you don't mind. But mm-hmm. this is a real, very, very common question about if if there's a link between MTHFR and tongue ties or any lip ties, since we're just seeing such a huge prevalence of this. So can you speak a little bit about that? I know our listeners are very curious about it.
1: Well, anything that has to do with the middle of the body. You know, the tongue is in the middle, the teeth are in the middle, um, the lips are in the middle, the palate's in the middle, um, the heart's in the middle, pretty close. Um, you know, the, the nerves, the spine is in the middle, uh, the penis is in the middle. So we can get hypospadias, congenital heart defect, tongue tie, cleft palate, lip ties, um, milk nipple lines, um you know, all these things are right down the middle of the body, which is a methylation issue. So MTHFR, its job is to regulate methylation. And it does that by regulating how much methylfolate's in the body. And so if your methylation is slow because MTHFR isn't working very well, then yes, uh, the association with tongue ties and neural tube defects and um, you know, babies not having skulls when they're born, all that is, that's, that's, is associated with MG4. But I, I want to say, you know, again, it's associated with dirty methylation. It's associated with dirty genes. So a woman could have, you know, she could be taking uh, folic acid, she could have gotten sick during uh, pregnancy, she could have not been eating her leafy green, she could have been stressed. Uh, She could have been deficient in in riboflavin. She could have thyroid issues, and all that stuff could happen, right? So is is lip tie or tongue tie directly associated with MDGFR gene itself? No. Is it associated with a methylation deficiency or a dysfunction? Absolutely. Is MDGFR associated? Does it increase the risk of having a methylation problem? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. So are you more susceptible to having a methylation problem if you have MTCFR? Yeah. Um, so these tongue ties, I look at tongue ties and lip ties as a more subtle neural tube defect. Mm. You know, And I look at congenital heart defects as a pretty significant neural tube defect. So because neural tube defects are not a folic acid deficiency, which is what the public wants us to think about. I mean, the news and the you know, public health. When I say public, I meant public health, but it is a methylation problem, 100%.
0: Great. I would love to talk a little bit just more about methylation in general, because you bring up the word a lot, and it's a very important process. Um, It just sounds like methylation is going to be... Uh, diminish when we're stressed out, we're not sleeping well, we have an infection. Um, I know you mentioned hormonal fluctuations, specifically um, during postpartum time. I mean, there's just like so many times in our life where our methylation is, infe- is affected. Can you give us some advice on what you recommend doing during these times so that we could try our best to optimize our methylation process so we're not dirtying our genes um, as much as possible and we're not having the ill effect on our offspring?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, first, you know, to define methylation, you know, methyl is a is a compound in the body. It's one of the simplest compounds and it's, you know, just to let you know it's a it's a carbon and three hydrogens. So so what? It's just this thing in your body and it plays a role and action is an action. So methylation is the action of taking that methyl group, that carbon and three hydrogens, and attaching it to something. And when that, that action of it of attaching the methyl group to something else changes its function. So if I have my hand in a fist, you know the action of my fist and you know my fingers clenched in a ball is different than the action of my hand being stretched outward and my fingers you know pointing forwards, right? So different function. So a methyl group, um, methylation alters the shape of things, and when you alter the shape of things, you alter their function. So methylation is job is to alter the function of various things. Uh, the shape of various things, so the the function changes. So for example, um, methylation will help change uh, dopamine, or or it'll help change norepinephrine to epinephrine. It will help change arsenic to be able to get peat out of the body. It will uh, take your homocysteine and turn it into methionine. So it will do a lot of really cool things. It will help it'll help transform your serotonin to melatonin. So methylation does all these cool things. Um, so if that process isn't happening, a lot of problems can happen. So, I mean, we talked a couple of neurotransmitters there. We talked about arsenic right there. So if you have arsenic levels building up because your methylation isn't working, that's a problem. Estrogen is also gets methylated. So if you do not have uh, your methylation working, you have this more toxic estrogen in your body which gives you more cancer risk that relates to high estrogen. So that's a problem. So you got to keep this this one cycle that's touching 200 other cycles in the body. It's so it's like I equate methylation if you were a, you know a kid or an adult and you love playing with dominoes and you like to, you know, create that stack and you're standing them up right next to each other and you just flick the first domino and they all fall down, right? Well, MTHFR is that first domino and you flick the mtgfr gene which then affect affects all 200 other genes down line within your methylation reaction that's really important and if mtgfr doesn't fire off that all those other genes just kind of sit there and wait so you are going to have big problems so what do you do well you do everything that you know that your grandma told you and your parents told you go to bed on time because if you don't then your body's not gonna be re- resting and repairing. And resting and repairing is conserving nutrients. By you moving about and doing too many things all the time, you're using up your nutrients, which your body actually needs in order to support the methylation reaction. Stress actually speeds up your methylation, When that sounds good short-term. But long-term, if you, if you are speeding up something, Long-term, what eventually happens? It tires, it fatigues, and it runs out of resources. So long-term chronic stress is going to, to deplete you of the nutrients required for your methylation, and that in and of itself will cause issues. So you just have to honor the things, like they said in the movie, what about Bob? Take a vacation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's those things where you really need to Find your hobbies, take a vacation, go kayaking, go biking, go for a walk. Have that salad that you had for lunch. You know, you got to do self-care. You have to.
0: Oh, my God. I love this stuff so much. I'm such a dork in this way. <laughs> I like. I could talk about this for hours. I think it's just so fascinating how the body has the capacity to do this for us. I mean, oh, it's amazing. just such a brilliant Uh, being, you know, and it's just so amazing. And like we even said, we only know so much now. I mean, imagine what we're going to know in about 10, 20 years from now, and then obviously Mm -hmm. future generations, but at least we know what we could do, which is living a healthy lifestyle to support the the methylation process. So we're just ready for when real big stressors happen, because it's life, you know, I mean, we're going to have those dips in life or deaths or, um, you know, maybe someone gets fired from a job or they get a divorce or, you know, you want to be as resilient as possible. So that when we do have these long term type of stressors or types of impact in life or toxic exposure, or, you know, so anything that we just need that extra methylation support, we have it on board. I think that's just so great to talk about these things. I, I love this stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's you know, you brought up that point And I'm, I'm hearing it a lot now from people is resilience. And, you know, I look at resilience as, as equating to a rubber band, and the more we pull on that rubber band, uh, the more likely it is is going to snap. And if, if we don't take care of the rubber band, we leave it out in the sun, it'll dry out and be easier to snap. So you know, just imagine your health as a rubber band, and you know, you when you've maxed it out, you can snap, and a snap is a symptom because our body is super resilient. Our genes are super resilient. If you're taxing your MTFR gene, there are other genes that'll back up and and help uh take over if your mtgR gene is tired there's a beh bhmT gene which will take over for it so if your MTHFR gene is like on vacation or it's stuck or it's dirty the bhMT gene will say I got your back you know I'll help you out here and but as bhmt doesn't get any backup support from MTHFR later it's too going to get tired so resiliency there's a lot of beautiful backup systems in the human body but if we keep taxing it we keep pushing it we keep trying to push those symptoms down like I was with that histamine-degrading probiotic instead of just avoiding the wheat. You know, you're know, you going to get a consequence, and those consequences are symptoms. And when you understand that a symptom is not something that should be a pain in your butt, it's actually your body giving you a warning bell and saying, hey, guys, I, I need some help here. Can you help me out? And if you don't, then you're going to get a disease.
0: It's brilliant. It's truly just a brilliant system. That's great. Okay, wonderful. So I now want to ask a question specifically about uh, postpartum health. Um, My co host Stephanie Granke, she is truly passionate about this field. And um, I really wanted to ask this question specifically for her um, understanding and also our listeners, since we have so many moms listening to to our podcast. I'm curious if you have any correlation or if you've found in your research, anything that some of the moms should know about of how to possibly help prevent postpartum depression or any type of postpartum mental uh, illness? And if their genes, obviously, or methylation plays a big role, since we're having this postpartum hormone fluctuation, and what we can do to be as proactive as possible?
1: Wow, you know, this there, I've read a lot of papers on this subject, because I've been trying to figure it out myself. And, and, uh, you know, I think the problem in that we're finding many of us are trying to do is we're trying to find the single variable. You know, with autism, what is it? Is it vaccines? Is it Tylenol after vaccines? Is it low vitamin D? Is it the the type of time of season the woman gets pregnant? I mean she's been pregnant all winter and fall, so she's deficient in vitamin D. There they find associations with that too. Um in children with you know autism is a low glutathione in the women. So and they find association with that, too. So I, I think the situation with postpartum depression, I, I don't think it's any one thing. I don't think it's just the massive hormonal fluctuation. I don't think it's the, you know, the amount of uh, fatigue that they have from staying up all the time and being uh, uh, tired. Um, I, I think it's all together. So I, I think it's the, you know, the overwhelm of having a new child but, uh, and, and a huge massive learning curve, but it's also being nutritionally deficient. I mean, pregnancy is, is very, very demanding on the mother. I mean, she's mm-hmm. a prenatal should not be just, I think women think a prenatal is for the baby, but I don't think they understand that the prenatal vitamin should also be supporting their own health and the development of the placenta and the, you know, the sustaining the placenta and then also helping provide uh, the breast milk formation and the breast milk uh, production. So it, I mean, the prenatal is so so important, and a lot of women are just taking what's convenient. They they find oh I'm going to take a prenatal gummy. It says prenatal on right, there, right, right. And they think that's sufficient. And why the FDA hasn't stepped up and said you know what uh, one a day prenatal one a day capsule prenatals or gummy prenatals uh, no. You can't you can't do that. They don't work. There's no requirements by the FDA that defines what has to be called a prenatal. I can't believe it. I I haven't found any regulations. There are regulations on infant formulas from the FDA and they're pretty darn weak, but there's nothing for prenatals. So I think a woman is super nutritionally deficient uh at the time of pregnancy i think pregnancy it's you know delivery is super stressful and a lot of nutrition goes out to, at the window there um prolactin during breastfeeding is very inflammatory and there the woman's immune system gets turned back on um and uh you know i think tryptophan deficiency and serotonin deficiency is is a big one um that whole kynurin pathway, which I talk about, I think very briefly in the fast Maui chapter, Um, you know, the Maui chapter and the fast Maui Mm -hmm. section, there's this pathway which deplete women of their tryptophan and you need your tryptophan for making your serotonin, your melatonin. And if you do not have enough serotonin, you can get the blues. So, and if you do not enough, have enough phospholcholine or acetylcholine, you can get the blues and low dopamine, you get the blues. Um, So there's multiple things here. And what I want to also add, it also ties into that PEMT chapter that you want to talk about. And only 10% of women have enough choline in their diet. Only 10%. And choline supports methylation just like folate supports methylation. So if a woman is folate deficient, because if she has an IMGFR mutation or she's not eating her salads and she's not having enough choline, man, that pregnancy is going to have issues and that postpartum depression is going to be very strong. And so you got to make sure you're eating your leafy greens and you're getting your eggs or your beets or your quinoa or your lamb. Um, so you you got to make sure that stuff is on board. And if you're not, you're going to have a lot of other issues besides just postpartum depression.
0: Oh, my goodness. I I feel like majority of women do not consume these. Now, I actually wouldn't say that about our listeners that very everyone's very pro or most people are very proactive, because we talk about choline all the time on the show, we talk about the activated form of folate, yet still, you know, people still struggle with, with these mental um, health issues. I mean, it's a it's a real thing for a lot of women. And um, it's, it's so disheartening when I think a lot of women try to do the best that they can during their pregnancy prior to their pregnancy, yet they are Faced with that overwhelm and true experience of, of either depression or anxiety or or both, so yeah, I think um, definitely my co-host Stephanie is very interested in it. But I think you bring up very good points for a lot of women and um, what we could do to nourish our bodies well before pregnancy and into pregnancy and postpartum is definitely a, a great starting point for most women that should be mandatory. You know, not just. Um, Status quo. I mean, it really we should be optimizing as many nutrients as possible.
1: Yes, it's it's so much easier to optimize than come back and fight the fire.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: You know, you know, you don't touch the hot burner. You you know, you you don't. You, I mean, that's that's the best thing to do, right? If you touch the hot burner, then you can heal it, but it takes time and it hurts and you know, it's, it's not ideal, but if, yes, you know, if, if you if you found out that Icky's brought up earlier, you get pregnant and all our pregnancies were all surprises. I was like, Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> well, first quarter, first year, uh, medical school, I had a little baby and that was, uh, oh, that kind of ruined goodness. the plans of my wife working.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, But you do your best.
0: Yeah, you do your best. Okay, great. Well, let's go ahead into choline since um, I did really want to talk about that on today's show since it's such an important nutrient, like we both agree, for pregnant women. Um, In your book, you talk about PEMT. Um, it's just it plays such a major role in the production of choline, and I wanted you to speak just about the importance. Well, specifically about choline, you said I know it helps with methylation, but what other things choline does to cell membranes, and and why it's so important for pregnant women and nursing women to get it in such high amounts.
1: Wow, I mean, the I keep forgetting the the gentleman's name, but uh, researcher he found that if rats uh got an equivalent of 800 milligrams of choline during their pregnancy their babies entire life would not get dementia no matter if they wow. were had issues or not so if a woman gets 800 milligrams of choline during her pregnancy a day which is quite a bit higher than the RDA um <clears throat> In fact, I don't even know if there's an RDA on choline. Um, but, you know, if you're getting 800 milligrams of, of choline during pregnancy and you can reduce the risk of dementia or Alzheimer's in your newborn child, and if you're, if it's a daughter and your grandchild, mm-hmm. that's massive because there's no cure for Alzheimer's, right? I mean, Dale Bredesen's work is showing that naturopathic medicine and functional medicine is working very well. For for treating and, and reversing Alzheimer's, but at some point it is irreversible, and um, you know we, we got to be careful there. So choline does that. Uh, choline helps make um, acetylcholine, which is a really important neurotransmitter for concentration. Um, and you know, so if people have low levels of acetylcholine, they won't be able to concentrate, and they'll have ADD and you know make stupid decisions. Um, and too much acetylcholine though uh, compared to serotonin can cause depression so there's a fine line um, and then there's uh, choline can also make phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylcholine is what we need for our cell membranes and for every single one of our cell membranes we have billions of cells every day that die and billions more cells that are remade every day so you have billions of cell membranes every single day that need to be produced. And that comes from methylation because methylation supports your production of taking your choline through long different routes to make your choline that you need to make your cells. Now, what is a developing baby? How many cell membranes are in a developing baby? It starts with one cell, and then it makes a placenta, which is a whole bunch of cells, and then the whole baby from there, right? It's lots of cells. But a lot of people don't make the connection that the bile, the, the liver, makes bile, which is needed to absorb fat-soluble nutrients like vitamin A, E, D, and K to get absorbed from the small intestine. But bile also keeps small intestinal overgrowth, you know, bacteria down because bacteria Bacteria in the small intestine do not like bile. It's antimicrobial. Bile is, by itself is antimicrobial. So, and what is a common issue during pregnancy? Well, a common issue during pregnancy is bile stone, you know, mm-hmm. gallbladder stones, gallstones. And so that is a sign of methylation deficiency because you need to have a whole bunch of phosphatidylcholine on board in order for that bile to flow out to get in the small intestine. And if women are getting gallstones, they have too much cholesterol compared to phosphatidylcholine, which tells me that either they're not getting enough choline in their diet, so they could be vegans or vegetarians or just carbitarians and not eating enough uh, meats or eggs, or their methylation cycle is messed up.
0: Okay, great. This is such an important topic, I feel like, especially, unfortunately, I I do a lot of food allergy, food sensitivity panels in my practice, and I find so many people sensitive to eggs. And it, it, like, hurts my heart. I hate when I see that because I know eggs are such a rich form of, of choline. So I know you mentioned some other foods. You mentioned liver. I'm sorry. You mentioned uh, lamb and quinoa and beets. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel, though, I mean, for especially pregnant or nursing women to get as much as eight or 900 milligrams per day, I just feel like you would surely have to supplement. Do you recommend that? Yeah. Or do you feel like they can get it from enough from food?
1: No, I, I you know... It's so hard for a pregnant woman to eat because their their whole yeah their whole uh, food digestion machinery is is limited right their stomach is shrunk their intestines are smashed
2: mm-hmm. um, oh yeah you
1: know it's morning <laughs> sickness um, you know it's it's tough so I really like recommending liposomal vitamin C um, because liposomal vitamin C has phospholcholine in it has 400 milligrams of phospholipids, not 100% is choline, but a lot of it is. Um, so that's 400 milligrams right there in um, one teaspoon. Plus you're getting vitamin C. So you take two teaspoons of liposomal vitamin C, that's you know like one teaspoon morning and one teaspoon in the afternoon. That's a lot of choline right there. And uh, plus you're getting the antioxidant potential from the vitamin C all's good.
0: Great. Yeah. You have a great product, that liposomal vitamin C, and I believe you have one that's a vitamin C plus as well. Do you recommend just the regular vitamin C or that that added one with the plus?
1: Well, the plus one is great for people who have histamine issues. And they, you know, if if you're pregnant and you're struggling with seasonal allergies or runny noses or histamine problems, then the plus would be the one I'd recommend. Got it. Um, you know, otherwise I would just go for, for basic.
0: Okay. Wonderful. And you know, um, how about even for kids or uh i mean definitely kids i believe with add adhd or focus problems i think this is a, a great nutrient for them I, I think you agree with that um i'm i'm kind of curious mostly for babies or or even kids um possibly even getting a vaccine soon, you know, as like a preventative, I, I do a lot of vaccine consults and help patients with a pre and a post vaccine plan just to optimize detoxification and help with the vaccines efficacy if they do choose to do the vaccines. And one of the one of the um, nutrients I actually do recommend is your lipo, liposomal vitamin C with the phosphatidylcholine. Do, do you do feel like that would be a good recommendation for some kids?
1: It definitely is. And I would I would actually uh, jump into the liposomal glutathione. Yes. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. That's a that's on board, too. Yeah. Um, You know, there's just so many things we could do with supplements to optimize people's function. I think this is where, like, there's a time and a place for it. Other than that, there are, of course, so many other lifestyle changes that we've already talked about. But, you know, there there are certain needs for certain times of our life, like pregnancy and, and prenatal health, pregnancy and postpartum, and then also for our kids who are going to be exposed to s- some toxins that we know of that we can really utilize some good supplements. So I think in this case, specifically with choline for um, – pregnant women and nursing women i think this is a really good formula so i do recommend it and i'm glad that we talked about that
1: yeah it's, Great. you know they they found that uh you know dr david berger he's a pediatrician practicing out of florida uh he specializes in autism and preconception care and and uh he's you know and he still sees patients and he does online consults too he's a brilliant guy and and uh he had a uh he works with autistic kids and and uh, one of the mothers of the kids said, "You know, can you run my labs too?" And he's like, "Uh, I'm a pediatrician. You know, I'm not, I don't really know what to do with your stuff." And uh, she goes, "Well," and she just kept pushing him, pushing him, and and uh, he's like, "Fine. You know, okay. I'll, you know, I'll run the labs for you." And so he ran to her labs, and the labs came back, and he was going over the labs with with her, and she goes, "Uh, these are my kids' labs." <gasps> he's like. Oh wait, sorry. Um, so they switch labs, and and they're like, "Oh my God!" They put them side by side. They looked exactly the same.
0: Oh wow! Right. It doesn't just because she's an adult and there's a kid. We still have the same biochemistry.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it was it was well, the main point I want to share with that is her altered biochemistry is what can help contribute to the to the child. the child sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's so important and fascinating, and I yeah. appreciate that because, you know, I work with so many kids that it is important to always also talk to the parents about what their health is. Yes, that's a great example of yeah, that. Yeah,
1: we have to do... I mean, it's such a tricky subject, right? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I could have done better. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, I could have done better. We could have all done better. Sure. But we didn't know. Yeah. You know, you didn't know. It's not like... You know, you just didn't know. So... You know, it's, it's so much guilt with that. So it's, it's a very tough uh, thing to, to approach. It's just one that we need to, we all need to learn from and say, hey, you know, if we had done this, we could have gotten that outcome or we could have possibly enhanced the outcome. Um, we don't have enough data yet to prove it.
2: Mm-hmm. But,
1: uh, you know, it's getting there. Dr. David Berger, his preconception plan, I don't think he's had any autistic uh children uh born. I think uh Paul Thomas the same. Great, uh, Dr. Paul Thomas the yeah, doctors great. are implementing these plans and they're working.
0: Oh yeah, they're great. Perfect. Um before we go on from choline, I really wanted to ask one more question if you don't mind. Um one of the best supplements I feel like is is great to um for nursing women to help uh decreased clogged ducts and mastitis is sunflower lecithin. And sunflower lecithin, a lot of it comes from a phosphatidylcholine uh, subgroup. And I was just wondering, um, it could that be used for either pregnancy or postpartum health because it's doing two actions, or you still recommend um, the phosphatidylcholine, the liposomal effect, not f- necessarily through sunflower lecithin? I just wanted to to distinguish between those two since so many moms are already taking that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And my understanding, and I could be wrong, it's been a while since I've looked at the biochemistry of lecithin, but my understanding is lecithin converts to phosphatidylcholine. But I could be mistaken. Um, so if you take phosphatidylcholine, then lecithin isn't needed. And part of the reason, and I could be wrong on that, but I think I'm right. Um, so if you... If you are supporting with the liposomal vitamin C or phospholcholines, then that should work. And it makes sense that, you know, mastitis risk would go down. I never even put that together. Mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing that because, you know, we just talked about, uh, gall, you know, bile, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Having to
1: go through that really tiny sphincter of OD, you know, to you know for the bile has to slip through this tiny little pipe to drip into the small intestine. And if the bile is too thick, it can't get through that little tiny Door, right? It just can't get through the hatch, and so if the milk uh, ducts are full of thick cholesterol mm-hmm. and do not have enough slippery choline in there, slippery phospholcholine, choline, then the milk won't flow.
0: Right, so that's why I wonder if this is so prevalent because our choline levels are are so low. <laughs> I mean, you you said ten percent of women. Um, are the, uh, it's only 10% of women who are even getting the actual uh, needs met. I mean, that's 90% of women who are deficient. It's a huge amount of people. And I yeah, just wonder since so many people are, are getting these clogged ducts or possibly mastitis and the lecithin is helping, perhaps they're really deficient in choline and we can prevent these uh, difficult you know, breastfeeding issues just as simply as supplementing with choline early on in pregnancy and throughout and even postpartum.
1: Right, I I'm totally on board, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I hadn't put those two together, but it makes so much sense. Yeah. And and you know it's let's let's bring this in there too. And I talk about this in in book Dirty Genes as well, is where you know about seventy percent of methylation or more, maybe even eighty percent of methylation, is used to make phosphatidylcholine and creatine. So
0: wow, that's a you know, lot. It, it's
1: a huge amount. So if a woman is a vegan or vegetarian or she is allergic to eggs or she's not eating enough meat or she's not you know, getting enough folate, then she is going to be burning through a ton of methylation in order to produce phosphatidylcholine. And also creatine gets peed out as creatinine. And we, you always look at your urinary labs, right? They always talk about your creatinine. If your creatinine is too low, the test is garbage. You have to redo it. So creatinine levels, if they're always low, even though the patient is hydrated and she, you know not overly hydrated and the electrolytes are on board, there's no diabetes issues or anything like that. If the if creatinine is still low, then it could be that they have low creatine levels and low muscle mass. And the body naturally, in a a 70 kilo person, so 150 pound person, naturally pees out two grams of creatine every day. So the body has to make that up. And that takes up 60, 50, 60% of the person's methylation reactions. So by giving things like creatine during pregnancy, and they've found over and over again that if they give creatine in high risk pregnancies, that the baby does better. Um, so we think of creatine as a bodybuilder nutrient, but it's far from. I mean, mm. kids who have speech delays uh, or struggling, failure to thrive, um, you know, creatine helps increase oxygenation and ATP. Um, it's it's very, very important.
0: That's fascinating. I, I don't know about that, so that's new for me. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. One thing, though, you said a little bit earlier is the link between folate and choline, and I wanted to mention this especially to the listeners. And you said this in your book that like too little folate calls for even more choline needs. I mean, there's there's such a relationship between them. So I yes. would just imagine with someone with an MTHFR SNP and or someone with just a dirty MTHFR, their needs are even probably more than the eight or nine hundred milligrams of choline that you're recommending. And then you top it off with a uh, possibly vegetarian diet or an egg allergy or just like just not a healthy diet in general not a lot of greens so you don't have a lot of folate my goodness like we were just setting ourselves up and our kids up specifically for for ill health it's not so surprising that there's so many sick kids
1: yeah i mean if you're if you're eating pizza and hamburgers and french fries and uh you know fast food and taking your folic acid
2: right uh,
1: gummy um you know you're in trouble yeah you're in trouble uh, and so is a baby, so it's it's a huge issue.
0: It's so ha- so hard. I mean, it it's it really touches my heart a lot because I work with so many kids and I see so many parents really really committed to having their kids healthy. Yet I know from a medical perspective, at times where I look at it and I get like their health history, and it's so hard to see that when they're born and they're not born with those nutrient levels and the nutrient stores we just have to go so much further down the line to really build them back up you know i mean and and yeah. luckily we do have therapies and we can help them and i'm so glad we have those tools it just it just takes more time you know and and more more supp- you know it's more than just lifestyle you have to then take some supplements and and i wish that wasn't the case you know i wish that everyone could just have the optimal health just with the foundations of the lifestyle alone and and i yeah. know that's what you want to that's why you are such a proponent of that. And um, I, it's just, I wish that it was that much easier. And I think as moms and moms to be, we could do that for our kids. I mean, it can be that simple if we could be as proactive as we can early on, so that the kids don't have to depend on either medication or supplements. I mean, that's really the goal of optimal health.
1: It is the goal, you know, but you know, I have a supplement company because I realize we have to have supplements. Yeah. I mean. You know, it, it 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 you have to, and pregnancy is is a time where you have to, um, you know, and and kids, you know, newborn kids also need supplements. I mean, there's there's time where we need supplements most of the time, and I also want to add that, you know, the time where we have when we get pregnant, you know, as as you know, a man and, and as a woman, you know, I don't get pregnant, but I'm there with my wife, mm-hmm. and. Uh, You know, it's it's one of the most active times of our life. You know, we get out of college, we're trying to build a career, and we just got our home Mm -hmm. and we just got the car and we're paying the bills and we're trying to make ends meet, and then we get pregnant. And it's it's like we're just we're doing so much just trying to survive, and now you're telling me to slow down and take it easy. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I can't slow down and take it easy because I gotta make money and I gotta make ends meet. And this is so expensive because I don't have the money yet because Mm -hmm. I'm I'm still in my young 30s, mid-30s, you know, and and I can't wait till I'm 40 because that's too late.
0: (laughs) Right. You're stuck. It's so true. And everyone feels that same impact and intensity. I mean, things are getting more and more expensive and work hours are getting longer and longer. And, you know, it's really a sad sad happening. And knowing this information, I think it's even more important for people to speak out and make requests to either their jobs, their bosses, their, even their wives, their husbands, you know, to really be able to get what they need. You know, this is this is for our future generation. It's not just what the status is at your job, or, you know, what it is to live life. I mean, it's this is really important information. (laughs) So I hope people get that.
1: And it requires the woman to not work. Yeah, and you know, it's seeking health. We have a a uh, pregnancy and plan on our for our human resources department. You know, we have uh, time. I, I don't know what the policy is. It was just made a few months ago, or half a year ago, or a year ago. I can't remember. But you know, we women they have babies and they're off, and they still get like seventy five percent of their pay. Even though they're not, it's, it's great at work. So I think we need to honor women uh, and allow them to to take the time off that they need to recover and to provide the the health of their baby. And companies need to step up and allow that to happen. And uh, is it expensive? Yeah, but is it more expensive not to do it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Great, that's beautiful. That's really really great to know. I know Canada has one of the best <laughs> maternity pol- uh, leaves and policies in in the in the, probably the world, that and probably Sweden and places in Europe and I just look at them like of course that that makes sense. You know, how can we not have that here in America? It just it's really going to make such an impact on our future generation and it and it already has. We have a lot more sick kids these days, so I really do support that so much and um, really making that a priority for women prenatally during pregnancy and postpartum to get as much rest and as many nutrients as possible. Um, so I, I agree. I, I really do. I just find it to be sad, but I'm, I'm trying to look at, um, the positives from that is just that we can all gain more information and and just be as proactive as possible.
1: Yeah. And on the, in addition to that too, at Seeking Health, we give every single one of our team members from day one, you don't have to earn it. It's not like years. You get a whole month of vacation.
0: Oh, that's Ooh, great! Wow. Oh, awesome!
1: So it's you know it's not this. Oh, you get one week after a year being here. Then you get you know two weeks after being here three years. No, it's no. You get a whole month the first day you step foot on site.
0: That's great.
1: <laughs> and it's you know it's because I know that your health and your productivity. Is going to be way higher if you yep. get vacation rather than if I grind you out two more weeks,
0: right? Great, absolutely. I absolutely agree. That's really great. I would say, are you guys hiring? But I actually love what I do, (laughs) and I love my schedule. I get to create it myself since I own. So that's great. Good. So you know, I guess as we're just wrapping up here, you know, I know people are really thinking this and wondering: can they get tested? Should they get tested for these mutations? I mean, I just want you to at least speak on that because I know it's it's running in everyone's mind. You know, oh, we know we're compound heterozygous. Well, maybe they should get tested. So if you could just speak. On, on that uh, note, for for our listeners,
1: if you want to get tested, if you really want to, and it's not going to scare you or make you make you know think you have to be uh, hasty and make rash decisions, yeah, go for it. Uh, you know, genetic testing is uh, is a very powerful, unique tool. You you finally get to learn what kind of car you're driving. Mm-hmm. You know, are you a are you a, f- a pickup? you know, or are you a race car? Are you four wheel drive? Or are you a motorcycle? You know, you gotta, you can finally look under the hood and see what type of machine you are. And that's, that's a really rudimentary way to put it and not very beautiful. Um, you know, but maybe what type of plant you are, you know, are you a rose or are you a sequoia? You know, great. You know, it's, it'll allow you to understand who you are, And how you're meant to be on this planet. And then how you can best, uh, what resources you best need, right? You know, a rose wants more sunlight. Um, You know, it doesn't want uh, uh, congested leaves. Uh, You know, it wants to, you know, whatever. You know, certain different soils. And the sequoia, it wants more acidic soil and, and, you know, more stable and so on. So when you know what type of plant or flower you are, then you can really make a difference, uh, but then it's up to you to figure out, to, you know, which soil you really, really need, and which environment you, you will thrive in. Because let's face it, uh, you know, we know our ancestry. A lot of us, you know, I'm English and Irish, mainly English, and Seattle is very similar to uh, Ireland or English uh, environment, and the foods are pretty close too. But some of our ancestors came from. Africa or Israel or you know, France or somewhere that's totally different than where we're living right now And are you bathing your genes in an environment that is not conducive to you? So understanding your genes is very powerful if there's fear around it or you're nervous about it Don't do it. Just Mm -hmm. you know read the book dirty genes learn how your body works, you know practice the principles uh, you know get good lab testing and and, uh, you know health is a four-letter word its work and genes are the next level um, of information, but you know, is are genes the answer? No. They're just another tool in the tool shed.
0: Great. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Stratagene?
1: Yeah. So Stratagene is a is a tool that you can take your genetic test from 23andMe and it will show your genes and how they work uh, together, not just in isolation. And it also shows you what else can dirty your gene or clean them up. So many genetic tests or genetic reports out there just say, oh, you have far, or you have this gene or you have that gene. And you're just kind of left to your own devices to figure out what next to do. With Stratagene, it shows you uh, diagram you know pathways and diagrams of how these genes are connected and how they work together. And it also shows you what vitamins and minerals they want. It also shows you what can speed them up or slow them down, and you know it, it shows you what those uh, variants or mutations, how much they slow the gene down, and also talks about uh, what labs you know could be considered or useful. Um, so Stratagene is a it's a much bigger picture look than just getting a report and says you have MCFAR. Uh, it's it's way bigger. It's a big learning curve. Um, it's not easy to learn, but once you have access and you look at it, uh, you know, and you start understanding it. You'll be very, very excited, and you'll get way more out of running strategy than any other genetic test report out Great. there because it's it's uh, it's comprehensive. Well,
0: and it's really affordable. I mean, it's forty five dollars for that for that analysis. But you do start with twenty three and Me. Is that right? You start there, and then you take your data, and then you do strategy.
1: That's correct. Is that right? And- okay. That's right. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, why don't you go to Ancestry or National Geographic genetic reports or, the, or genetic tests? Why don't you integrate with those? Well, because they don't have enough genes um, that are clinically relevant. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more I can say about Stratagene. What I will f- finish saying with Stratagene is that we are making our own genetic tests now. We've identified, you know, probably five 600 different genes that are really important clinical research on them. And uh, we have more pathways, and so StrateGene will be using its own genetic test uh, in the future. We'll still use 23andMe's as well, but we'll have our own genetic chip that, in my opinion, will be far superior than 23andMe's. It's way bigger,
0: way better. Wonderful. Okay, good. So just as a final question, I just I know people are probably interested in knowing how to follow you your work. I mean, you're constantly researching, um, you know, what's up next for you. I know there's some talk about you doing another book specifically for pregnancy for moms for you know, the future population for the future offspring. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how we can all continue learning more about you?
1: Yeah, so best way to learn more about me is just go to my website drbenlinch so drbenlinch dot com and uh, my social media my Facebook page is is pretty active there every Thursday I have a Facebook live where I talk about a topic and answer questions for people um, the the email uh, if you put your email in at drbenlinch com you get this free bonus chapter from Dirty Jeans, which the publisher says no your book's big enough we're not letting you add this so um, <laughs> It's a great chapter uh, to give you a lot of additional resources and a great place to start. So uh, grab that. It's called The ABCs of Clean Genes. Um, and then for my next book, yeah, it is going to be on pregnancy. Um, I haven't started writing it yet because I've got a lot of other pregnancy things that I'm building out. Um, you know, I'm expanding our prenatal line for various reasons, um, and I'm expanding our children line. Um, as well, and I I want to say what else we're working on, but it's a big secret.
0: Oh and, man! Uh, okay, good. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about these products because yeah. we use them so often. I mean, I love your prenatal powder. It's one yeah. of the only companies I know that's brilliant enough to put your nutrients in a protein shake because so many women can't get down those capsules. So yeah. it's just so great. So hopefully, you're not changing that one too much, or if anything, you no, no. just enhance it. No,
1: we're adding. Oh we're adding. great! We're expanding. Good. We're expanding. And uh, you know, one there's a couple of new products that we're working on now that we're adding to the line that are going to be massive game changers. So,
2: oh, super exciting. excited about those.
0: Great. Well, Doctor Lynch, thank you so much for your time. This was such a treat for me <laughs> to learn and to just pick your brain. And I know our listeners are so grateful for all the work that you do. I know for us, for sh- definitely as uh, naturopathic doctors, we're so happy to have you as part of um, our profession and you know leading the way in in our profession just to keep on spreading the word. So we just appreciate it so very, very much.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you for for helping folks. know get the care that they need and get the babies you know delivered the way they need and the Mm -hmm. health prior to pregnancy so thanks for being out there working with them
0: you got it we love it this is great okay thanks dr lynch hope to talk to you soon and have you on the show again in the future sounds good thanks
1: remember that the views on this podcast are not meant to be substituted for medical advice shouldn't be used to diagnose treat or cure any conditions and are intended for general information purposes only don't forget to subscribe rate review and share the podcast to help us spread the
2: real food word we also invite you to visit our website real food mamas podcast to find past episodes leave comments and ask questions for future shows we'd love to hear from you now go on have a great day and nourish and nurture you and your family